0: Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. Um, this week we're going to get back into some theology. We're going to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's something that, that we should understand about the Sermon on the Mount. This is really Jesus's summary of Torah, okay? So Torah is the first five books of the Bible, right? Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, And it's considered like the center, the heart of the Jewish Bible, okay? So if you were a Jew living in Jesus' time, right, you had the the Tanakh, which was the Old Testament, right? And that was like your Bible. Um, But the heart of it was the Torah, All right, and that was the first five books of the Bible, and specifically, most specifically, it's the Law of Moses, okay? It's the 613 commands that God gave to Moses um, that were for the nation of Israel that they were to obey, all right? And really, what the Sermon on the Mount is, Jesus is summarizing the Torah, okay? And the heart there is, he's giving the spirit of the law, all right? He's giving the spirit of the law because this is the truth for everyone. Um, you know, if you're a Christian, what you're constantly fighting against in the church is, is religious legalism, right? Is dead tradition. And it's the same way, you know, um, throughout history for those who have wanted to obey God and follow God, you know, you have to fight against the lawless ones, the people who don't care about the law and and don't care about following God, but you also have to fight against the overly religious ones who are interpreting the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. And, um, this is why it's very important to understand the heart of God's law. Why He gives His commands, you know, it helps us in, in, follow them better. And and this is really Jesus, you know, giving the heart of what the Torah is. And um, I think if we understand the Sermon on the Mount well, then what we're going to understand is that Judaism, you know, uh, true faith in Jesus' time, right, which was Judaism, the worship of Yahweh, um, was it was a true religion. It was it was. It was the true religion, because a lot of the times, the way that we look at it as Christians is we look back on the Jews and we're like, oh, they were hopelessly corrupt. You know, they're hopelessly corrupt, they're hopelessly lost and and evil and legalistic and all this kind of stuff, and it's really this, this straw man. Like, we have built this straw man. A lot of that is from the Reformation, right? Because the way that, you know, Martin Luther and all these guys interpreted Paul, you know, was that Paul was saying, hey you fools, why are you trying to keep the law of Moses? Don't you know the purpose of the law of Moses was just to show you that you're sinful, you know, but you are following it so closely because of your religiousness and your legalism and, and you missed the whole point. And I think that that's ty- That's a caricature. That's a, that's a bad understanding. Okay. This idea that Judaism was a religion of, of law, and now Christianity is a religion of grace. All right, that's a very popular conception that that persists to modern days, right, to our current times. And when you hear a lot of pastors today speak about the law of Moses, they're going to speak about it in very negative ways. It's because they don't really understand it. One of the big problems in the church is we don't understand the Old Testament very well, okay? And I've said this before, but this is exactly what Paul warns about in Romans 11 about becoming arrogant towards the natural branches speaking the nation of Israel and many Christians are still extremely arrogant right so i always encourage christians to try and understand um you know historic judaism properly and what you're going to see is that there was a lot of good things and there's a lot of bad things right but you can't look at them like they're all you know hopelessly lost and you just understand the bible so much better than they do that to me is 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 real arrogance okay Okay, so today what I want to do is I want to cover just the beginning of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, right, getting into the Sermon on the Mount. All right, it says this, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. Let's pause there. So this is a very famous passage called the Beatitudes. And um, I think it's very hard to for people to understand. I think it's very hard for people to understand what Jesus is talking about. Okay? So I want to give what I think is the key to understand this section of Scripture. Okay? The key is the kingdom of God. All right? That is the key. All right? And the whole idea here is that in this life... We are under the power of demonic powers, right? We're under the power of Satan. Satan is ruling the earth, right, during this period, okay, this age of humanity. And so because of that, the righteous are not rightly honored or blessed for their righteousness. That's the basic idea, okay? So when the wicked rule, the righteous are not treated as they deserve until the kingdom comes. Right? when the kingdom comes and the king, the righteous king, rules over the whole earth, then he will restore everything to how it should be. Right? And those who did what was right, even though they never benefited from it, they will be rightly honored on that day. Okay, this is the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. This is the great message of the gospel right which is that the kingdom of god is coming all right and what that means is that jesus will return and when he returns he will come to set up his full kingdom on the earth and he will judge all the nations right and set everything to right and then you know all of the isaiah 2 right they'll ble- they'll beat their swords into plowshares Right, there will be no more war. All the all the nations will come to learn of his ways, right? Because and then the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the earth, cover the seas. So this is the this is the promise. And this understanding is is really what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about these beatitudes. Okay? So blessed are the poor, and um here's talking about the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and this is this is a consistent message in the scriptures that the gospel is good news for the poor. Why is it good news for the poor? Why is it that Jesus says it's more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom, right, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Right. Why is that why is that? Well, because in this age you become rich through wickedness. Okay. In this age, you become rich through wickedness, and riches become a trap from receiving what's truly valuable. All right, that's the consistent message of the scriptures. Okay. Now, to be clear, there is a principle that wealth follows after righteousness. That is a biblical principle. You're gonna see that all the times in Proverbs, right? But the whole point of the Beatitudes and the whole point that Jesus is addressing is that there's a lag there. Okay, Wealth eventually follows righteousness, but it's not immediate. And that lag, that interim period where you're doing what's right, you're acting righteously, but where's the wealth? That's the period where you can have assurance that the wealth will come. All right, And that's what Jesus is getting here, blessed are the poor in spirit. So even though you're poor in spirit now, you don't have much, you're not a great ruler, you're not super important, whatever it might be, but you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit, meaning those who consider themselves rich and they're not willing to give up their riches for the sake of the kingdom will have no portion in it right? You have to consider yourself poor. You have to consider yourself, these things that I have are not so valuable that I can't give them up for the kingdom, all right? That's why when that's, this is the state of humility, right? Jesus, I don't have much, but what I do have, I give to you, right? That is the state of a a disciple, someone who says, Jesus, I don't have much, but it's all yours, all right? And theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Okay, so verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, this doesn't mean blessed is everyone who's sad. <laughs> that's not what I mean. Anybody who's sad is blessed, right? I've, I've definitely heard messages like that, and who knows, I might have said something like that in the past. I don't know, but that's really not what Jesus means here, okay? Again, you need you have to understand the rubric that he's, he's blessed are those who mourn right? They're mourning because of that state of imbalance. They're mourning over the wickedness in the earth, right? You're going to see this throughout the Psalms, for example, you know, why do the wicked prosper, God? Why do the wicked prosper? I think that's Psalms 57, if I had to guess, right? This, the righteous are suffering. They're mourning for their righteousness, right? Because they're doing what's right, and yet, they're not being blessed they're not seeing all the great blessings that they that they want that they're believing for right and um but they will be comforted they're only going to mourn for a limited period of time okay now for us that can seem like a long time cuz it could be large portions of your life <laughs> right if you're jeremiah jeremiah is the picture of mourning right like he literally wrote lamentations okay cuz he's he was In Jerusalem, warning them over please repent, repent, because God's going to send the Babylonians to enact judgment on you for your idolatry and rebelliousness. And he's saying, Repent, turn back to God. And they don't do it, they don't listen to him. In fact, they persecute him, right? They persecute him, they ridicule him, they lie about him. He never succeeds in his mission or his ministry, right? He never succeeds. The people that he sent to warn don't listen to him, and they come into judgment, all right? And then Jerusalem is destroyed, and he writes the book of Lamentations, right? Which he's lamenting over the state of Jerusalem, all right? That he is the picture of the righteous sufferer, right? Um, Who does everything right, but doesn't see the full blessing, okay? Why should he have hope? Because he will be comforted in the next life, (laughs) I can understand that for many people, that's not going to sound very comforting, but it is, that is the ultimate comfort. The ultimate comfort is no matter what hardships we go through in this life, no matter how we are wronged unjustly, no matter what we suffer for the sake of righteousness, no matter any of those things, we will be fully comforted. Not just a partial, not just like, I'm sorry you had to go through that, that was so bad. No, it's, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but it was necessary, and now receive the full reward for your faithfulness right? And that reward will last for eternity. And when you receive that reward, you'll be like, it was was so worth it. It was so worth it. To go through what I went through and continue to do what's right, even though I was tempted, right, to despair and to give in completely to a lack of faith and a lack of hope and curse God and all this kind of stuff. Even though I was tempted to do that, it was right for me to stand fast in my obedience and my faithfulness to the Lord, okay? And then you're going to be fully comforted on that day, okay? Blessed are the meek, all right, verse 5, for they will inherit the earth, all right? Now, I, I appreciate Jordan Peterson, you know, talks about meekness as, you know, the way he puts it is, blessed are the meek are those who carry swords and know how to kill everybody, but they keep their swords in their sheath, right? They're, it's power under control. I think that's a helpful understanding for meekness, right? Because a lot of times we can build an image of meekness as a person who's so weak and powerless and, you know, they're beat up, they're like, they're bullied because they can't stop it right? And that's really not the biblical picture of weak, of meekness, right? it's Jesus is meek. Why? Because he, he says, don't you think I could call my father and he would send a legion of angels, right? He knows the authority and the power that he has, and he chooses not to use it. He chooses to suffer for a period of time knowing that righteousness will ultimately prevail, but that evil must have its way for a limited amount of time. Okay, and that's the whole idea here. Blessed are the meek, the ones who know, yeah, that they could just be like, you know what, forget these people <laughs> and declare war, right? Forget these people and throw off all, all restraint, um, but they won't do that, right? But they don't do that, and they patiently wait for the Lord's vengeance. They patiently wait for the Lord's vindication, right? This is meekness, and what the Lord says is they will inherit the, the whole earth, Right? And this is referencing back to Psalms, you know, because the wicked may prosper for a short season, but they are like grass, right? They're a vapor. They're here today, and they're gone tomorrow, right? Psalms 1 says, you know, blessed is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit in its season. All that he does prospers. His leaf does not wither. And that says, not so the wicked. Right, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. And that's a very consistent picture of what the destiny of the wicked is called, is is portrayed as in the Bible. Okay. The wicked are they look like they're thriving, but in an instant they're gone. And we don't even remember them anymore. Okay. And that's what the scriptures are warning about. That for us, you know, human history is like what, seven thousand years or something like that. Right, maybe ten thousand. If you're gonna, you know, take a longer picture, but to the Lord, this is like this is nothing. All right, a ten thousand year history is nothing to the Lord, and it will be nothing to us in a million years. A million years from now, we'll be like, remember when you know the wicked ruled the earth? <laughs> remember? And it'll, and you know, I think we'll have perfected memory, so I think we will remember perfectly. You know, if I, I'm just guessing, right? We're just speculating on this, but. You know, I think yeah, we'll remember. Yeah, I remember, remember Hitler? Man, that was crazy, you know? And we're remembering back to the distant past, right? When the the powers ruled over the earth and the righteous ones were being tested, okay? And that's what we call history now. This is life. The, you know, but it's because our perspective is so limited that we see it like that, okay? But the meek ones The ones who do what's right, even though they have the power to try and force change on their own, right, they will inherit the earth, right? They're going to be rulers in the age to come. They will be given authority, right, and power for eternity, okay? That's the promise, okay? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, okay? And again, this is the idea of you look around and there's, unrighteous there's temptation everywhere there's sin everywhere that you could participate in that you could do but there are those who are hungry for righteousness hungry to know god and to know his ways and they say no i'm not going to indulge myself in the wine of the world i'm not going to indulge myself in all the pleasures that the world has for me right and to be clear i'm not saying you can't have any fun right but the 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 purpose the point is i'm not going to live for those things that's not what i'm living for i'm hungering for righteousness and the promises that they will be filled okay they will be filled they will receive that righteousness that they're hungering for okay verse 7 blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy that is a consistent theme in scripture okay you're only forgiven of your sins if you forgive others all right again that presents a real problematic you know um interpretation for you know anybody who argues that you have to be completely sinless in order to go to heaven Okay, then you get into the, the, the problems of, well, okay, then I receive Jesus' righteousness, but what happens if I sin after that? Okay, um, what, what happens if I, you know, what happens if I sin 20 times, right? What happens if I start practicing sin? Like you start to run into all of these complications, so it's much better to understand that we have a righteous standing in Christ, we don't get his actual moral goodness. It's not like when God looks at us, he can't see our sin. It's that when he looks at us, he understands that we belong to him because we're in Christ, so we have a righteous standing in Christ. Okay, But we will still be judged according to our works. Okay, So we receive eternal life on the basis of our righteous standing of being in Christ. Okay, But our works will still be judged. And insofar as we show mercy to others... God will be merciful to us. All right, that should give us incredible motivation to be merciful. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I really, really want God to be merciful to me in, in judgment. <laughs> like it's, and you're going to see this principle multiple times, right? For example, you know, the Pharisees, they, they say, you know, we are not sinners. And so Jesus said, because you claim to be without sin, your sin remains what's going on there well the whole idea is that they were not merciful to others because they saw themselves as morally superior and that's because they didn't understand they couldn't see their own sin they didn't understand their own religious pride and all of the stuff they didn't see that sin they were they were very good at seeing certain kinds of sins and that's how it, that's how that's what happens in religious circles all right in religious circles what happens is you become really good at seeing other people's sin But you become blind towards your own sin, okay? And then what starts to happen is you become unmerciful towards other people in their sin. And then what happens is that God becomes unmerciful towards you in your sin, all right? This is why we should be very careful about judging others, all right? And look, I see this happen all the time in churches, okay, where, you know, they... They, this is this is very dangerous when churches and ministries start to think of themselves as like the most mature ones, the most elite ones. Like you know, we start using language we're on the cutting edge of what God's doing. All that stuff is a religious arrogance and pride. Okay, no, the truth is, all of us are just doing a small part in God's kingdom, and I promise you, there are other people that are doing far more important work than you're doing. <laughs> okay. Unless you're that one. <laughs> Maybe you are that one who's doing the most important work in our generation. <laughs> you know, like, who can say? But you're probably not, okay? Like, you're probably not, all right? We all, we all are playing a small part, and we all need to be merciful towards other people in the body of Christ. Um, and, and that's really important. Like, see, a lot of people don't understand how important this is to God. Okay, the way we treat other Christians. Let me tell you, it is incredibly important. It's more important than the way you treat non-Christians. I know that sounds weird because we tend to think in universal terms, right? Well, people are people. Doesn't shouldn't it, doesn't it matter how we treat anybody? And the answer is, it does matter, but it matters more how you treat God's people. That matters to God. Okay, what you're going to see many times in the parables is, you know, for example, in Matthew 25, when it's talking about the sheep's and the goats, right? How how God will judge between the sheep's and the goats, and is judged over the issue of how we treated His brothers and sisters, right? Like when I was hungry, you brought me food. When I was in jail, you came to visit me. Well, Lord, when did we do that, right? Well, in 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 whatever way that you did that to m- my brothers and sisters right so you've done to me and that language of brothers and sisters is actually very important right and it gets lost a lot of people interpret those passages you know as like the way we treat humans and that i'm sorry that's simply not a right interpretation okay no it's referring to brothers and sisters so I think it's almost certainly referring to Christians, but I think there is a strong argument that you could argue it's referring to Jews because there is a sense in which the Jewish people are Jesus' brothers and sisters, okay? There are scriptural references to that, okay? So uh, those are the two groups that really matter, okay? I think, like, the way nations treat Jewish Jews, Israel, is a big deal. I think there will be eternal consequences, Okay? But I do think that Christians matter, too, the way that the nations treat Christians, okay? And that that might sound weird for us because we're like, what do you mean the way that nations treat Christians? Well, because Christians are going to come into great persecution, all right? God's family comes into great persecution. That's what the Beatitudes are really about, all right? That God's people do what's right when it's very difficult and they're not being rewarded for it. And so he will vindicate them and reward them and compensate them. Okay, And I think that those passages that speak about the way that we treat his brothers and sisters, I think it speaks to how the nations treat Christians and Jews in times of their persecution. Okay, And that's, you know, a lot of modern day Christians, it's like such a strange thing to think about because they're not really persecuted. But look, historically, Christians have been very persecuted. Obviously, in the early church, Christians were persecuted heavily and in huge portions of the earth today. Okay, in parts of China, okay, in places um, in the Far East, in the Middle East, there have been so many martyrs in the past, you know, fifteen years. Okay, like ISIS drove Christianity out of that entire region of Syria and Iraq, and how did they do that? Well, they persecuted them. They killed many Christians, all right, and many others fled, all right. Christians in Iran have been fleeing persecution there okay? Like, uh, Christians are being persecuted all over the world. Maybe, you know, as as 21st century Westerners, we haven't experienced it, you know, um, a lot, but this is important to God, because they're these are his children, all right? When we're talking about Christians, these are his children, and so it matters the way that we treat his children, and he hates it when his children are bickering, and fighting amongst themselves, and dishonoring each other, and all this kind of stuff, he hates it. Now, if you're his child, you're still precious to him. So he hates it when people are doing it to you, and he hates it when you're doing it to others of his children, okay? So this is very important to the Father, right, that we dwell together in unity, all right? So I say all this to say, blessed are the merciful. It's very important that we treat others with mercy, especially in the body of Christ, okay, especially in the body of Christ. We must be merciful towards one another. We must treat each other with honor, okay? Like Paul specifically talks about, you know, um, in the Corinthian church, they were, they were having lawsuits amongst each other, and he rebukes them. He rebukes them and says, why, why would you have a lawsuit? How dare you bring your divisions before unbelievers and have them judge for you? it's such a terrible witness because what you're then what you're showing the world is that there you trust their judgment more than the judgment of the church. <laughs> and the whole point is that the church is is being discipled by God to rule in the next age. So if 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 we're suing each other and going to non-believers for judgment, it shows that we deserve zero authority. <laughs> That's what it shows, okay? And um and he says, and he gives the solution, why wouldn't you rather just be wronged? Why wouldn't you rather just be wronged? And Because that is the righteous posture, all right? If somebody is accusing you wrongly, okay, I completely understand that desire to defend yourself, all right, that desire to get justice now, I completely understand all of that, all right? But you don't understand that you're forfeiting the reward from the Father, if you allow people to wrong you now without returning wrong for wrong, okay? If somebody sues you, all right, and they win a false lawsuit against you, well, you'll be compensated by the Lord in the age to come. That's the promise, okay? And so in that sense, if you have grounds, if you have right grounds to sue another brother or sister in the Lord, but you don't, that's showing mercy, right? And then God will be merciful to you in the judgment. And let me tell you, you're going to want that. Okay. You're going to want that. All right. When God's like, Hey, you did these things and I'm giving you, I'm giving you this reward. Um, I'm giving you this reward, but you also committed these sins against these believers. Right. And now I'm removing some of that reward. Okay. I think that's how some of that's going to happen. Okay. That's, just my guess, all right? But I think that's how some of that's going to happen. And, but the Lord's going to be merciful towards us right? if we show mercy, okay? If we're merciful to others, he will be merciful in his judgment towards us. And I, I really want that. I don't know about you. I want God to be as merciful to me <laughs> as possible, right? So it's important that in this age that we show mercy to one another. We treat each other with great mercy um, for his sake, okay? All right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. All right. This is a consistent message in scripture. All right. Blessed are the, that purity leads to seeing God. All right. That the more sin we have, the more difficult it's going to be for us to see God. Okay. We see that in Hebrews, um, pursue holiness, or excuse me, pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which um, nobody will see God. All right. And that's, that's an important message, right? So the more pure we make ourselves in this age, all right, the more we're going to be able to behold God, the more we're going to be able to see him, the more we go after holiness, the more we get to experience and encounter God in this life. But I do think that there's an ultimate manifestation of that also, that to the degree that we have purity in this life, I think will have greater intimacy with the lord in the next life okay and again I'm I'm speculating here because you know the scriptures hint at stuff but I do think there will be differing levels of intimacy with the lord in the age to come okay and um yeah I don't you know I don't know like I th- th- I'm gonna speculate here okay so don't please don't accuse me of, <laughs> of writing new doctrine and stuff like that okay we're speculating but yeah i think that there are going to be there are more blessed positions in the age to come okay so you know it talks about um the elders right crying holy 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 and there's a sense in which the elders are allowed into the throne room right to behold the lord in his full glory and um i think that there's there's an ecstasy that comes with that that is a, is a great privilege Okay. I think we enter into degrees of that in this age, okay? Like I don't know about you, but I've definitely had encounters with the Lord where the glory was much more manif- it was made manifest to me in a greater way. Where I really felt the goodness of God. I felt the beauty of God in a, in an overwhelming way. And that happens, you know, in this age in a in a small way. But I think in the age to come I think there's also going to be this dynamic where some of us are going to be closer to the Lord. Okay. Now this is all my guess, but yeah, I think that's, you know, it's referring to the bride and things like that. I think the bride will have the closest relationship with the Lord in the age to come. And if I had to guess, the bride is going to be the greatest rulers in the age to come. Um, But I don't think every believer will be part of that. Okay. I think there will be believers that, um, you know, will have much less privileged positions. Okay, Um, this is my guess, but I do think that's consistent with many of the things that we see in Scripture. Okay, all right, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Um, You know, this whole idea of uh, not taking vengeance yourself right it's it's the, the, the very similar messaging here right it's waiting for the lord right trusting in the lord's judgment right again you're going to see this over and over and over again with all the heroes of scripture all of them had to had to go through this process right job went through this process where he was you know all this terrible stuff happened to him and but he refused right to accuse god of doing evil curse god and then die that's what his his wife was telling him to do but he refused you know and um, and eventually the lord restored him right and that's just a small picture of the greater reality that we're all going to see you know joseph spent time as a as a slave and as a prisoner Right, um, and he could have been raging against God and abandoning, you know, worshiping God, but he didn't seem like he did. It seemed like he continued to be faithful to the Lord, and he was positioned, given a, a position of rulership, okay? That idea, of, you know, where it says here, they will be called children of God, you know, the the sons of God is the term, is the title for the greatest rulers in the Old Testament, okay? They're called the sons of God, the ben ben Elohim, Okay, and if I encourage you to listen to Michael Heiser, who is a theologian at Logos Bible Software, who really does a good job of fleshing out the whole idea of the ben-, ben Elohim and the Divine Council, I think it's a very helpful paradigm for understanding the Scriptures because there are hints of this all over the place. Okay, whenever it's speaking about this idea of being a son of God, it's re- that's really speaking about a position of rulership. Okay, it's speaking about a position of rulership, and you can see that um, in. Romans 8, for example, right, the earth is groaning um, in anticipation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, okay, that's speaking of the, the rulers amongst mankind to be revealed in the, for the next age of rulership, okay. Um, and then in verse 10, right, it's a, a similar idea here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely see all kinds of evil against you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so that's, you know, it, it, that's the thesis sentence, okay? So everything is talking about the same idea. You're suffering for righteousness for a short while, but then you will be greatly glorified okay? Suffer well. (laughs) That is really the heart of what Jesus is talking about. Suffer well. Do what's righteous, even when it gains you nothing in the moment, and you will be greatly rewarded because that's what this test is about, okay? That's what's being tested in this life. That's what the judgment is about, okay? And so that is really the way Jesus is starting off the whole understanding of the Torah, okay? The whole understanding of you know, the 613 commands of how do I follow God in this life, right, is starting with this understanding of you're going to suffer for a short period. You're going to suffer in this lifetime. You're not going to be compensated rightly, right, for your righteousness, but continue to do what's right. Continue to show obedience and faith, and you will be greatly rewarded, okay? That is the heart of the message here, okay? And then the rest of it is going to be, okay, now what should I, what practically should I do? Okay, so let's just get into it a little bit. I'm just going to do um, that, just the next section here until verse 16, and then we'll stop it for here, and then we'll carry on next time. Okay, it says this You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house, in the same way that your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, so the whole idea here is that our job is to influence our culture, our society. Okay, that's what we're doing, we're preserving, the salt is preserving the earth, okay, and the light is shining light, so we need to understand both of these metaphors here. Okay, so the salt is the the preserving factor. Okay, and the whole idea is that it keeps it keeps the nation from spoiling. Okay, it keeps the nation from spoiling. All right, and um, that's our job because what happens if there's if there's no righteousness in a nation? It's judged. All right, a nation is exalted. By its righteousness, so the job of the church is to remain righteous, okay, and to influence others with our righteousness, okay. And if we're not, if we're not doing that, then we share in the judgment, okay. That's what it's talking about here, okay. You're saying if if the church, the people of God, are no longer salty when that's their purpose, they're no longer helping to preserve um, their nation, then what's going to happen? then they deserve to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, okay? That language of being trampled underfoot, that is judgment language, okay? That is speaking about having foreign armies come in and trample the cities and the nations, all right, that, that you inhabit, okay? And um, that is, by the way, the most common judgment in Scripture, okay? The most common judgment in Scripture is to have foreign armies invade and take over your land, Okay, that's where your land is taken away from you, like rulership of your land is taken away from you, and it's given to somebody else. Okay, and that is, you know, one of the worst judgments that a nation can come under. All right, and this is Jesus implying, you know, to us that it's our job to prevent that. It's our job to make sure our nations are functioning righteously. And he's going to continue that theme with verse 14. You're the light of the world. Okay, okay. And the whole idea of being light is the spiritual metaphor for light is that light allows people to see what's real, right? Imagine, imagine there's no light and it's completely dark. Well, then what happens? People don't know how to walk. They don't know how to get around anywhere. They don't know what's true or what's not true. Okay. And, um, and then what happens in the darkness is, you know, people are saying, oh yeah, the road's over there. No, the road's over there. Oh no, we need to go over there. You know, but when the light comes, now what happens? Everyone can see the reality all right? So, light is a metaphor for truth, okay? And so, the idea of us being the light of the world means that we are the ones who speak the truth. We're the ones that carry and speak the truth. We reveal the truth to the world, okay? And he specifically warns that we're not to take the light that we have and put it under a bowl, okay? The purpose of a light, right, is you have to put it on a stand. If you put it on a stand, then it gives light to the entire room. Everybody can see because the light's on a stand. If the light is under a bowl, then even though the light is there, nobody can see, all right? So it says that we should not hide our light. We should not be silent about speaking the truth, okay? This is very important because if we're silent about speaking the truth, then nobody can see, all right? Um, but we are to let our light, shine before others, which is that we are to speak the truth so that when people see our good deeds okay then they will glorify the Lord by doing what's right okay so that's the the whole idea here is that we have to speak the truth and the reason why you know, the reason why it's telling us that is because the temptation is not to speak the truth. (laughs) I don't know about you, but the truth, you know, sometimes makes life much more difficult, right? Um, Especially in this internet age, I'm just going to be, you know, completely honest, like, in the internet age, everybody and their mom wants to give their opinion about stuff, you know, like, everybody wants to give their opinion. And so, you know, for me, I, I don't feel like I need to give my opinion to anybody. I'm like, you can do whatever you you can do whatever you want to do. I always joked that I'm like the worst, I'm the world's worst salesman, which is funny because sales was my first major job, you know? So my first major job, I was selling cell phones and I was training other people to sell cell phones. <laughs> yeah, that was not a good hire by my boss at the time. But anyways, you know, I was joked that, you know, the, the problem with me as a cell phone salesman is like, somebody's like, you know, I just think that that phone that, you know, that other store is selling would be better for me. I'd be like, yeah, it might be. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it might be. Because my, you know, I don't have that, oh, I'm going to hide, <laughs> I'm going to hide the truth from that person so that I will benefit off of them. You know, I don't have that thing in me, you know, like... Like, I'm not going to lie to somebody, you know, or deceive them in some way so that it will be more beneficial for me as a salesperson. I hate that kind of stuff, right? So, I just say that because for me, I'm like, hey, if if you don't want to listen to the scriptures, that's okay. Well, nobody's forcing you, <laughs> you know, but I need to warn you what will happen. Like, this, will, this is what will happen, but obviously there's a million people saying a million other things, and so, you know, you have the freedom to make your own decision on that, right? I don't feel the need to shove my opinion down everybody's throat, right? But at the same time, I do feel an obligation to speak out, right? And because of passages like this, all right? Jesus says that it's our job to speak out. And this is a very similar, um, this is very similar to what he told like Ezekiel, all right? This is what he told Ezekiel. I have placed you as a watchman on the walls. All right. And this is the whole idea of of being a watchman is that if you were a watchman in ancient times, literally the safety of the city depended on you. Okay. Because your job was to stay awake on the wall and to look out for danger. All right. This is a military term, right? You're a military, you're a soldier, you're keeping watch over the city. And if you see danger coming, then what do you have to do? You have to sound the alarm. If you do not sound the alarm, then you have failed. Right, so the the punishment for a watchman who fell asleep was they should die, right? Because the entire city or the entire fort or whoever they're keeping watch over is relying on them. They have to stay awake and then they have to sound the alarm, okay? And these are the exact same things that Jesus warns us about, okay? He says that we must keep watch. That language of keeping watch in scripture is always tied to prayer. It's always tied to prayer. Okay, When the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he, and they fall asleep, he tells them, "Couldn't you keep watch with me? right For one hour? And that language is mentioned several times in the New Testament letters, right? Make sure to keep watch. And the whole idea there is to remain vigilant in prayer, okay? Because prayer is the place where we as people spiritually see. Okay? If you lose your connection to prayer, what happens is you become spiritually blind. And I just have to say that this is very common in the church. It's very common. When leaders lack vision, it's because they have fallen asleep at the watch post. All right? They've fallen asleep. They're no longer vigilantly keeping watch on the tower walls. And so because of that, they don't see the danger that's coming. And this is the danger for us. When we fall asleep spiritually, we lose vision for the kingdom, we lose passion, we lose urgency. Then what happens is the danger is coming upon us and we're not sounding the alarm. All right? And th- and this is the problem. Look, our nation, speaking of America, but, you know, this could be just as true for many other nations around the world, including Korea. All right? Has backslidden like crazy in our generation. We have backslidden like crazy in our generation. I think there should be this incredible urgency in the people of God to be like, hey, America, you need to wake up because danger is coming, right? Because we have abandoned God, our faith in God, God is going to remove the great influence, the great wealth, the great safety that he has given us in previous generations because of our faith. That is coming, all right? That should be a message I think the entire church should be trumpeting loudly, okay? Now, I'm not saying we have to do it in a really controlling, mean-spirited way or anything like that, okay? Um, But a clear warning has to be called, right? America, return and repent. America, return and repent, okay? Return to faith in God. Because if you don't, he will remove your blessings, okay? But what you're going to see is that many churches do not want to say anything like that. Many pastors and leaders do not want to say anything like that, okay? And, you know, there's a lot of justification. Well, it's going to turn people off to the gospel. We want them to know God's love and his mercy. with All sorts of bad reasons, in my opinion. These are all bad reasons. Because they're all unbiblical reasons, okay? If we just look at the biblical witness, we can see that, Throughout church history, the people of God have sounded alarms and warnings, right, when judgment was going to come on the land, including Jesus, right? Jesus gave the clearest warnings out of anybody. He gave the very specific warnings. You see this temple, this great temple that's here right next to us that we're at? That not one stone will last on another, all right? It's all going to be torn down because you miss your time of visitation, Right, He warned them so strongly about the judgment that was to come okay that should be our job too why because if we're awake if we're alert if we're keeping watch we're remaining diligent in the place of prayer then what happens is we can see the danger coming we feel the urgency of what is coming all right and then we have to sound the alarm that's what it means to be a watchman we have to sound the alarm we have to warn the people of what's coming and God told Ezekiel, if you do that, then the blood is their blood is not on your head. Okay, even if they don't listen to you, it's not your responsibility. You did your part. Okay, and I just say I feel the exact same thing. Right, that my job is to speak out and warn, and then it's not my job whether people listen. I can't. I can't make people listen. If people didn't listen to Jesus about stuff, they ain't gonna listen to me. <laughs> you know, but the, but some will. But some will. Right and and that's that's our job as believers right that we are to warn people about coming judgment we are to warn them about god's standards right and um and then then if judgment comes well th- th- they won't be on my head okay and that's important right that's important if judgment comes it won't be on my head and in fact then the judgment will actually become a blessing to me right now to be clear i'm not necessarily saying that you're going to enjoy the judgment that comes on your nation. But I am saying that the reason why God brings judgment is be, is not because he just wants He just gets so fed up with people that he just lashes out and starts beating them like an abusive father. Okay, that's not how judgment works. God, as a judge, does the least harsh thing to accomplish righteousness. That's his goal. He wants righteousness. So when people stop listening to words, then he, he spanks them, all right? And that's what judgment is for nations. Judgment is spanking. It's a national spanking. Okay, and because the spanking wakes us up in ways that warnings do not a lot of times. Okay, and um, and then the spanking hopefully accomplishes its purpose, which is to bring about righteousness. Okay, so in that way, there is gain from it long-term. You have to think long-term here. Okay, and that's our hope, that God is faithful and that he will honor those who have done what's right Right, and that his judgments will bring about blessing in the long run. Okay, and so because of that, our job is to sound the alarm, even if people will not listen to it. We still have to speak it out. Okay, we still have to speak out what God is saying. We cannot keep silent. All right, and I, I lovingly say, you know, because there there are many today who argue that we need to keep all of the offensive parts of the gospel or the Bible as silent as possible. And I just lovingly say there's no uh, there's no example in Scripture of this. There's not, okay? That's what Jesus did, you know, when he was trying to judge a people, <laughs> you know? And he alone has that right, um, you know, to hide the truth and stuff like that. Um, but look, if, if we're actually trying to warn the people, um, because there are people, right, um, we need to lovingly speak up and warn them, okay? That's our job. Okay. So that's the beginning of the Sermon on, on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 verses 1 through 16. I hope that's helpful for giving getting you know some hopefully more Jewish understanding on 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 these passages and things like that. Okay? All right. God bless you. See ya.